All right. It's the Digital Side Hug, and this is actually a very special uh, episode of the Digital Side Hug. And the reason is we're recording live! Hey! <laughs> I love the, the extremely long delay between my you know, announcement and the reaction of the crowd. Thank you for doing that. We've got four youth ministry experts on the stage here uh, in the ballroom at the Hotel Elegante in Colorado Springs, Colorado at the National Conference on Youth Ministries. Four people who have a wealth of youth ministry experience, not only in the field of youth ministry, but also in the academy training others to do youth ministry. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves. By the way, thank you guys for being here. Thank you so much. Let's start here. Very much. Tell us who you are, where you do, what you do. My name is David Fraze. I work for Lubbock Christian University. I'm Walter Serdaki. I'm at Lipscomb University in Nashville, Tennessee. Dudley Chancy, Oklahoma Christian University. Robert Oglesby, Abilene Christian University. And, and we are going to just get into this with you guys and uh, ask you some, some really important questions about youth ministry uh, and maybe some not so important questions as well. Audience, are you guys ready for this? Are you guys ready to do this? Okay, so uh, let's start here, guys. And not everybody has to answer every question, but this is a lightning round get to know me, as you know. <laughs> so make the answers extremely, you know, long. And I'm just kidding. Um, and and, but I would like for at least someone to answer every question. You understand? Gotcha. So at least someone answers every question, but not everyone has to answer. What is your go-to Clint Eastwood movie? It is the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yes. <laughs> and let it, let, let it be noted that he pointed to David Fraze on ugly. That, that hurt my feelings. Unforgiven. Okay. Oh, 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 oh nice. nice. I'm not that old, so I have no idea what a Clint Eastwood movie. Dirty Harry. <laughs> Very nice. Yes. Excellent. Use all the all the quotes good. with my elders. Very nice. Very good. Go ahead, make my day. Absolutely. Uh, and Unforgiven is also mine. Audience, on the count of three, shout out your favorite Clint Eastwood movie. One, two, three. That's good. Did anyone say any which way you can? Anyone? I did. Close second. I did hear someone say Back to the Future 3, which makes me so happy. Let me ask you this question. What is the saddest sports moment of your life? I actually was playing on an indoor soccer team with my youth group, and I was playing keeper, and the ball came at me, and I dove for it. I thought it was very athletic. The ball hit my shoulder, went into the goal, and then then I yelled in front of all of my students a very loud obscenity. You were in youth ministry, yes. and you cursed in front of your students when you humiliated I, yourself. It came out, and it was very quiet after that. <laughs> it was very quiet. It was bad. Houston Oilers losing to the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs oh. when they had a 31-point lead, third pass. Halfway through the third quarter to Frank Greatest Frank. comeback ever. Greatest. I'm sorry. Worst, worst choke ever. <laughs> you know what? The refs missed a Don Beebe running out of bounds play in that in that game. Okay, you guys. Uh, Cowboys lose to the Steelers when Jackie Smith had a yes. catch uh, in the end zone. He caught a bajillion passes, blows that one. and blo- He was a hero of the game, really, oh, yeah. up until oh, yeah. that point. Is it worse than the catch, though? Because that's, that's uh, close. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Tennessee Titans. Rams, one oh. yard from the Oh, very nice. That was tough. And, and mine is actually so sad I can't bring it up. I'm, it's so sad. I, I, am, I often say it's the, it's the hardest moment of my life. That's how emotionally deep 
I run. Dave, would you share it with us? <laughs> just, just us on I'm at a safe place. Yeah, after the podcast, I'll share it with you guys. Um, okay, so what hymn, what acapella hymn would you most want to lead the congregation in right now? Get Right Church. Okay. Jesus does, loves me. Does Get Right Church count as a hymn? I was oh. going to ask that question. I don't think it does. So, of a her? <laughs> What'd you say, Dudley? Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. What, what do you say? All creatures of our God and King. Okay. Good, let's get this deep theology. Robert? I decided to go instrumental, so I'm not going to lie. Robert Oglesby <laughs> from Abilene Christian University. Okay, so... The Southern Hills Church of Christ. <laughs> Thank you. Of the, two, of the two that gave us legitimate answers, which of you is going to lead us in your song? Oh, Dudley will. He's very... Dudley, lead us. You guys ready? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Hey, why is Robert leading with a hair guitar over there? What's up with that? They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Oklahoma Christian wants women to lead. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Uh, that was good. Thank you very much for that. Okay. Describe your most embarrassing holy crap my zipper is down moment. Because I, I, I actually revealed mine on stage the other night as... as whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa. No, no, no. no, 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 no I revealed Thank you. my good story. Night, good night. No, 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 We're done. Listen. We're done. <laughs> no, I, no. As the as the master of ceremonies, audiences only. No, I, I, on stage the other night, I revealed to the audience the story of okay. my most embarrassing. Holy crap! My zipper is down. Moment. So anybody, somebody's got to answer. Yeah, this I'm question. at camp and I give this impassioned talk. I sit down. I'm sitting next to my co-director, and he writes on the uh, a little piece of paper. He says, "Zip the fly," and I'm like, "Was I supposed to tell a story about zip the fly?" And I'm like, "No." And then I look down. And everybody knew what was going on. So it was not only that I had my fly down, everybody at camp knew I had my fly down. That's, that's, a, that's a horror story right there. But I love it. Thank you, Walter Sudaki. Um, there's a button in front of you. If you press it, you switch places with someone else on stage, one of the other panelists. Mm-hmm. You go to their university. You, you begin doing what they do there. You stop doing what you do you know, mid-year. Now, the students you've been working with, they're enrolled. You know, you, you can't teach them anymore. You go teach someone else's students. If you do not press it, you resign from your position and pursue something else in ministry. Do you press the button or not? You, you cannot pursue, I should say, a job doing what you're doing now. So you either immediately flip-flop and go to a different university or you find a new line of work. So if Today, we push right the now. button, somebody doesn't have a job anymore. No, you swap places with them. Swap places. So okay. you you go to Abilene Christian, and, and and Robert would come where you are. Okay, so that's. But you you're answering the question for yourself. Do you press the button and 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 go to someone else's university and switch places with them, doing the, the role you're doing now, or do you or do you get out of the work you're doing and choose a different line of work? I'm pressing the button. And I would go to Lipscomb. I have a great friend, Steve Joyner, up there. I love country music, and Nashville is just a cool town, especially compared to Abilene. <laughs> it's a great okay, switch. Okay, yeah, excellent, fabulous. Who else? 
Yeah, I push the button. I'd go. So rubber, I just swap places because um, I've got family in Texas and uh, get to work with same kind of great students that I get to work with in Nashville. Lose on the city side of it, but so far this question's been far too easy to answer. This is a love fest. Is anybody laboring over this? You labor. What's your answer, Dudley? Well, I'd, I'd have to go to Tennessee because that's where the best friends in the world are. Oh, Dudley, thank you. Wait, wait, were you talking about me? I was talking about you and John Martin, <laughs> David Skidmore, and Steve Davidson, nice. and Todd Lloyd. We're all in Tennessee. So you would also go impact staff. You would press the button and and move to Lipscomb to do work there. Yes. Okay. Okay. Because you could. There are also other jobs in Tennessee. I didn't know. Yeah. What's your well, I kind of thought that I was part of Dudley's friend circle, so I guess not. And um, <laughs> in Tennessee, I, you know, uh, I I could work at any of these places. I I like where I'm working. So, um, I, man, I don't know. Let's let's just get him off the run. We're all going to go to Tennessee. So I would <laughs> I would punch the button and go so, to Nashville because it's beautiful there. I, I think we've established that Walter has the dream job. Of everybody on stage here. Okay. Well, um, he has the dream location. The dream location. Dream That's students. Right. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Hey, all two of you. That's some LU yeah. students in the crowd. Listen, you guys, you are what we Four. call experts in youth ministry. You all have uh, jobs where you participate in the training of other youth ministers. You have uh, fed others that want to do what you have been doing your whole life. Or for most of your adult lives, and you're learned. You know, you're in the academy. You know, quote unquote. We call you the quote unquote experts. Uh, but of course, you know, I, I'm friends with all of you, so I know you don't want the the people at the National Conference on Youth Ministries to look at you that way. You're all accessible. You're all down to earth. Um, but you've given your lives to the craft of youth ministry. So for you, youth ministry is more more than a job. You know, to to hold down and do. It's also uh, a pursuit to consider you know the future of and I appreciate you taking the time to be here and do this and as you know I've got some questions for you perhaps there are members of the audience that want to hear you answer some things let's start with something quick and easy you guys obviously hand syllabuses out to the students that that come and want to be trained by you I want to know what is the one book that you would say every single youth ministry student every youth minister should read when I just finished reading uh, this week was Bonhoeffer as youth worker. Uh, Andy Root. Yeah, Andy Root. And uh, it, it was phenomenal in that it takes you back, it helps you focus on what made him who he was and, and the value he put on teaching young people that, that I really, frankly, didn't know as much about until I read it. It's a great book. Powerful book, yeah. Well, I would cop out and say the Bible. I, we just need to read the Bible, and, and we don't. That's a good answer. And if there's a youth minister listening to this podcast whose immediate response is, I, I've tried, I can't, it's too big, I want to, I, I find myself only reading the Bible to prepare a lesson, where in the Bible would you send them to begin their pursuit of enjoying it as a book to, to digest? Book of Mark. Thank you. I'd say The God-Bearing Life by Kenneth Dean. Um, that was formative for me when I was still young in youth ministry because she's talking about really keeping the main thing the main thing and how to feed your soul as you feed other souls. And uh, 
It's just deeply theological, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, the book that's impacted me the most lately, and because my ministry takes me in all kinds of different contexts, even in those who aren't in the Christian realm, and even have some connections with Muslim individuals, is a book by Carl Medeiros, Speaking of Jesus, which, uh, you know, in a nutshell, says our story is Jesus and the narrative is Jesus, and we spend so much time talking about Christianity and trying to defend it that we miss Jesus. And he does a really good job of bringing us back to what is the core of our story. And I think that's going to be incredibly important as we step into the coming years of student ministry in a very plural narrative, multi-narrative culture. That's right. Um, give us a, def a definition, and perhaps you do this for students. With give us a definition of successful youth ministry. And, and, and maybe to put it another way, what would you be hoping to see in the graduates of your programs five years from now, the types of things you'd hear about them or the types of things they, they would, that would be going on in their lives that would you know, make you think, wow. That, that's a successful youth ministry. Yeah, I think uh, if you were to leave a church, your youth ministry does just fine. Yes. So the, so the definition of a, of a failure in youth ministry is if the church can't live without you when you leave. Exactly. Yeah, that you have developed enough support around you that is also... Uh, supporting teenagers and pouring into their lives that it is not it's not an inverted pyramid that all re relies on you good and I, you know, our philosophy at Oklahoma Christian is D6E4 D6 is a parent's job to spiritually form their kids E4 Ephesians 4 you are an equipper a facilitator uh, you probably don't have teenagers, so you have no validity telling anybody how to raise their teenager yet. Um, right. So I, I would want to see our students as being facilitators, equippers, and facilitating parents all to do their God-given job. And you know, to be transparent, Dave, here's the problem with every one of our answers already. It kind of goes against the way we're training people. goes against the way that they're judged because they come from a culture. How many butts did you have in the seats? How much is this trip going to cost? Are the parents happy? So already those two definitions place the students who are getting into student ministry perhaps in harm's way and because all of this is longitudinal big really? fancy doctorate word to say success is what is it going to be 10 years from now are these kids still walking with Jesus so you know you, you invite you assist kids coming into the presence of Jesus you assist them in the equipping for life and eternity but the last part that's really important to me these days is you, we have to assimilate them into the body so we're not just training different churchmen they have to embrace this narrative and this lifestyle and it works they're there not because of a youth minister because they've been equipped because their families believe it and it's authentic to them and you know that's not how a lot of youth ministers are judged today and that's kind of a little bit of the push of how we're training them. I, I was going to say, I really agree with David. We're, we're very short-sighted. And the difference maker is, is there a long-term, yeah. do they become a long-term disciple or not? And as I've watched teenager after teenager run out, I'm still waiting. How well did we do? How, how rooted are they in the church? Uh, do they want to join another church uh, after their experience with us? Are they... Uh, I, there was a, a young woman who Facebooked me back and said, I remember you always came to our pep rallies. And I thought you were there for the jocks and the cheerleaders. And it wound up you were there for us, too. The mm. people who are the, the forgotten people. Mm. So she said, I have... The a little people. Yeah. She said, I have yeah. a ministry where I invite... 
girls that everybody else misses at my church. But I want you to understand why that was there because yeah. you told me Jesus cared about those people. And so she has this ministry going as a 30-year-old mm -hmm. that's unbelievable. And it doesn't get all the press, yeah. but it's significant. And that's, that's the problem. You can't quantify it. And recently in a group of... Uh, Youth leaders from every major denomination in the United States, you could tell some of them, they, almost, they turned ashy pale because we all came to the conclusion we do not have a metrics to determine whether or not what we're doing is successful or not. Yep. Because the leaders of our churches are the youth ministers of the 70s and 80s that were quantifiably judged by the size of their activity stuff. And not that it doesn't have a play, but all of us are sitting here talking about things that will never make a performance sheet. What Robert talked about, mm -hmm. they're like, that's a great story, but how many kids were there on Wednesday night? And that's, I know one of the four of our passions is how do we train leaders to look at youth ministry more holistically instead of numbers and dollars? That's hard. And I, and, and your answer makes me want to ask you guys, is there a level, is there, is there a slice of success that, that says in order to you know to judge a successful youth ministry a, a minister's got to kind of not worry about keeping their job or, or or would you say i mean if these answers don't factor into a performance review and then do we have to let go of and not hold so tightly our our job i mean that's a tough one isn't it what, what's your answer to that that, that's why we struggle with this in the classroom with our students is saying it's not always about the numbers. There are some churches that are geared around this ministry is about keeping the kids we currently have. And there's other churches who have this mm -hmm. vision of we are bringing you here to, to help these kids who have great parents, exactly what Dudley's talking about, these six type parents, they're, they're going to be fine without you. We're worried about the kids who are not in our church. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to figure out what's the vision and what's that mm -hmm. church's definition of what success yeah. is and decide, do I want to put myself in harm's way? And that can be a conversation on the front end with the church, you know, Absolutely. before you're hired, before you're hired to say, how, how am I, how is the success of my ministry going to be judged? Mm -hmm. And I mean, exactly. I think it was one of the Yakinellis who probably said, if you're not doing something that might get you fired at least once a week, you're probably not doing youth ministry right. Yeah. Dudley does that every day, and he's still here it's on the true, stage. true. <laughs> Most hated man in America, and we love him. <laughs> but I mean, and I think that statement, I think that statement I think maybe the reddest to, face in America. I, I, I don't know most hated man. Speaking truth. <laughs> what were you saying, Walter? Uh, but I, I think that, yeah, Kenali's statement speaks to the fact how, yeah, we've been priestly in our role and we've taken care of yeah. some of our sheep, but have we lost the prophetic role yeah. that we have? And that's one of the things I think that drew a lot of us to youth ministry was, hey, we can shake things up and perhaps keep our job doing that yeah. and do some really exciting things. And that's what we've seen over the last 25, 30 okay, years. Okay, so, so let's transition to a new question. Because you, you have all done congregational youth work. I mean, you, you're all, yep. you all did that. That's how you got your start. You know, that's why a university president or Bible you know, dean said, you're the one I want to lead this, this program that trains others. Um, give us a story of success in your youth ministry, and then tell us how you goofed. Is there is there a story of when you blew it and you wish you could go back and undo something? You, you want the same time? You got uh, both stories? Just, let me, I'll start out with the, the one where I thought I had failed completely, just awful. Uh, there was a young lady in our group who was dealing with same-sex attraction. 
uh, obviously causes some problems, got very public with it with our youth group. One night was in an actual tussle with a, another girl coaxing her out of the house with the mother grabbing one arm and this girl pulling her out of the window, trying to take her off to live the lifestyle. Uh, I, of course, confronted that and said, hey, you know, we, we cannot have you pulling other kids into this lifestyle. Uh, she cussed me as, as well as anyone has ever cussed me before in my life. She just, just did it and walked out the door, and she was gone for two solid years. Uh, and I told my wife, if this girl comes to our door, do not answer the door, call the police, because I thought she was capable of, of some very evil things. Uh, two years later, I get a knock at my office door at the church, and she walks in. And I'm looking for a gun. You know, I'm thinking she's going to finish me off. Hmm. Uh, and she said, I need to tell you about my journey. She'd gone down to Austin, lived everything she ever dreamed of in her mind and her lifestyle. Finished that, uh, that experience by waking up one night in the gutter in Austin, Texas, uh, throwing up. And she said, as I lay in the gutter, I remembered what the best time of my life was. And it was back in youth group with you guys. And she said, I just want you to know I'm back. I'm married, I'm married now. I've got a one-year-old. Uh, I'm going to church. Wow. And I want you to know, I said some bad things on the way out the door, but I want you to know I came home. And I couldn't keep living without letting you know that. And so uh, I thought I'd blown it. Yeah. I'd messed up. I had uh, pushed her out almost yeah. in some ways. And yet that, that story has been helpful to me in the times where I felt like, man, I'm not making a difference. What a, what a victory that became. I, I think for me it was more of a mindset. I, I think there was a point where all youth ministry, everything was revolving around uh, what I did in this church. So I was very much a Lone Ranger. I hadn't understood the fact of using a team. It was early on in student ministry. I was so busy. I, I didn't ever go to NCYM. Um, and so at one point, the first NCYM I went to, I was uh, preaching every other week so I didn't have a preacher. I was uh, teaching a little bit. I was coaching. I was playing intramurals. I was in all this stuff. And I went to my first NCYM. It was something Jim Burns said where he's like, um, he used the hot tub illustration. It was in San Antonio. The semi-all just pushing the button. And it literally just, God broke me. And I went outside and I wept and I went home and quit a lot of things and started using volunteers. And uh, it was kind of a pivotal moment for me to realize I'm, I'm not the Messiah. And uh, glad I learned that young because uh, that was, a, was a before too many, too many catastrophes and, and when my wife still loved me. So that was good. One of the things I'm most perhaps ashamed of is uh, we had a girl who was going through some troubles, ran away from home, started living with her boyfriend, all that kind of thing. She was enmeshed in the congregation, her family, all throughout this church. And I don't know what the bug in my bonnet was on that where I kind of needed to make a an example out of her. And so I called like a family meeting with the youth group and just kind of let them know what was going on trying to let like first corinthians 5 be my foundation for that and it 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 went 
nuclear in our church, and it was it was bad, um, and there was a lot of division over that. Um, and about five years later, where I finally came back to say, you know, I'm sorry, what I did was wrong, and and got to start some of that healing. But <clears throat> it's just one of those where you're trying to speak the truth in love, and there wasn't a whole lot of love, and it needed to use some more adults to help me through that. So, do you wish that you had handled the situation differently at the time? It, it sounds like, obviously. Oh yeah. But but. Also, five years later, you came back, you, you said, I'm sorry, you, yeah. you know, do you wish that had happened sooner? I mean, is, oh, that, is yeah. that a lesson learned? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I think as leaders, it, you know, just saying I'm sorry or saying I blew it or saying what can I do to make it right can be really tricky. And, and was, there com- was there complete reconciliation at the end of that? No, but, but a lot more than I expected. And you, and you, yeah. Or perhaps. All you can deserve. handle is what you, yeah. you know. Yeah. Thank you. I would have to say to people listening that youth ministry is the greatest job in the world. And, uh, you know, when I look back, I like doing it better than what I'm doing now. You just get the summers off of what I'm doing now. So, it, you know, but uh, and I, I think of a lot of the... There's a lot of discouraged uh, people now. That yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I go to things like Winterfest and our students from our 1970s youth groups come up to me and Vicky with their kids and grandkids and I see them every year at Winterfest they're faithful they're faithful to God and of course they always say don't tell my kids what I did in youth group <laughs> you know it's you see those generations that God's faithful the church is in good hands uh, and there's bad crap that goes on and I've you know I Jesus thankful for him for I don't sit around and try to remember the bad things that yeah. you know because there's so many good things and so I think what we do what you guys out there do uh, keep doing it it's great so you know that's one of the things that the stories of longevity yeah um, when you when you've been doing this for a while and in my context I still have a foot I got a foot in both worlds and one of the teams that I would really love to hate is the Coppell Cowboys where Seedman's boy plays mm-hmm. and their athletic F- director, football team school yeah, yeah. football and and it's funny that the athletic director for that district and their coaches they were absolute hellions in Louisville we all grew up together three years older than me and they found Jesus and the impact they're making the school is incredible and three months ago they started showing up at Seedsman's church and th- to see how God works in that life and this life and all these worlds coming together in the most random places and this is the humbling part for all of us like professionals None of that was programmed except through the Holy Spirit. And we spent a lot of time on the, the rallies of the Winterfest, the NCYM. But literally, the magic of student ministry is still in a van ride. It's out here drinking coffee outside of a session because coffee's God's drug. I mean, what it's it just those moments that you can't script because you know the Holy Spirit's been involved is humbling in both. Okay, that was worth my time. And that was a touch 25 years ago that God brought to fruition in August, and you're like, yeah. wow, tumbling. Very cool. Tell us the year you started youth ministry. 1974. 81. 92. 88. And what has changed the most about youth ministry since that first job? Parents. Say more. What do you mean by that? Um, parents uh, help going from kind of just letting their kids try to find out who they are themselves to parents 
being helicopter parents, stealth fighter parents, those kinds of things. Some some of it is the busyness of our yeah. culture uh-huh. in general. Oh, that too. Yeah. Uh, I had more volunteer pools than the current youth ministers have because they're dealing with dual career families right. and then students who are just maxed out yeah. uh, trying to worry about, worry about college in ninth grade. You know, we weren't, I, would, I didn't even know about college at ninth grade right. uh, back in my day. And the students back then didn't. So just sheer busyness of our culture is huge change. Parents, busyness, what else? I, I would agree with Walter. I, uh, the first youth trip I ever did, Vicky was 18, I was 19. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm serious. We drove, yeah. we drove 43 teenagers <laughs> on an old joy bus 700 miles to Youth in Action. And, and there were some teenagers on that bus older than me and Vicky. They had been held back. And How many other adults? None. None. Yeah. We were the adults. And yeah. those parents stood in that parking lot, and we had a prayer. And one dad gave me the credit card for gas, and God bless you. And we drove. And now, you know, this parent's going, you know, what kind of, is it gluten-free? Is it, I mean, what? Exactly. I mean, ah. Yeah. But that's a very long prayer their parents had over yes. you driving their kids. You know, I, it, it goes without saying, but technology has been an incredible game changer because if you speak to teenagers, you present to teenagers, uh, the speaking and presenting, sorry, that microphone, if you use something from youth culture, you better be spot on because these kids, their BS monitors way high and uh, they will throw you under the bus faster than anything else with their moms and dads. So you have to be on spot more than ever if you decide to choose their culture. Now, saying all that if you talk to their culture these the students the one thing that's better today and i think i'll see if y'all agree with this there is such a drought of authentic adult involvement that if you give students a little bit of authentic attention it is easier than ever Mm. to be involved in their lives because i i really don't have to try near as hard at 47 and i lost my cool factor after 25 i don't have to try near as hard to do student ministry as i did when i was 21 and that that sounds weird but the kids are that much i just want an adult in my life that is going to be authentically uh interested in my agenda and not put something on me and it works and there's a deep hunger for that deep hunger. and that's the flip side of the super busy life that is tearing them apart yeah a result you know, it is, yeah it's a, it's a result of the business they're, they're looking for somebody who's going to give them the time yeah and and so that speaks to the nature of the changing nature of youth ministry from the 70s to our time today so you're obviously training youth ministers when you talk about pitfalls or challenges that they face what are just the critical challenges facing today's youth minister um, or, or the pitfalls that you would caution your students to watch out for and that's kind of two separate questions, but similar. Well, I, I would have to say it would be your personal integrity. Uh, I'm seeing more and more of our buddies that aren't here this year Absolutely. at this conference. Uh, I know three guys that lost their wives this fall, and and part of it has to do with pornography and things like that. Stuff that you can do when nobody's looking, and mm-hmm. you know that old adage of "you are who you are when nobody's looking." It really. We, we, we need to teach our folks that because we're, we're losing guys, losing jobs, we're losing dads. You know, our, our students come to our universities, and I had a parent tell me one time when we started doing laptops, she said, all our students are going to start watching pornography now. And I went, start? I said, they're, they're steeped, steeped in it when they yeah. get here, you know, and so just your personal integrity. 
being who you say you okay, are. Okay, g- give a suggestion for how to make sure that that doesn't happen. D- does anybody have an answer to the question? How, you know, if that's a pitfall, personal integrity, give give us give us a, a nugget. I'm not, I'm not so sure it has ever changed, but we're here because every one of these people, and I would cry like a baby, if I was doing something wrong, every one of these men would drive to my house and kick my butt. And and, and we miss that. I, you know, so you're, connect, you're saying get connected to someone. Yes, they have permission to say, you're making Jesus look really stupid. And by the way, mm. we love Lisa and your kids, and you're blowing it. And there's a lot of these guys who, because of the the non-personal world they can live in, they believe they can have a friend if they text, they don't know how to have God conversations because nobody really gives a rip about how big your youth group is or how many places you go and speak. Do you know somebody who knows your heart? And it's what Skidmore talked about, Monday. You you can't do this alone. Can someone Mm -hmm. lower you through the roof, as he said, and take you to Jesus, whether you want to go or not? And we have that, and we would also never say that it would never happen to us. And there's a lot of guys that go in very arrogantly that don't understand that Satan can... We have some people that were a lot stronger than us and my... You know, that, that aren't here today. Right. And that scares me because if, in my mind, if they can get to them, can they get to any one of us? And I think sometimes we lose the fear that it can happen to us. I actually will share with our students how Satan would get at me. I'll yeah. tell them inside class. Here's, here's how. It's not going to be drugs and alcohol and all that stuff. It's going to be some other avenues. Mm-hmm. So here are the things I put in place to protect my spiritual soul from that. And having buddies, I can call and I'll tell them stories about being off in cities where they do not know who Robert Oglesby is. Yeah. And I'll have a situation come up where I have a shot and I will call one of my buddies and say, Won't you ask me when I get home what I did tonight? Yeah. And and remind me about my wife and my kids and how you know I I say it gra- a little more graphically, I'm sorry. I talk about eight seconds of pleasure, mm-hmm. orgasm. People will trade careers yeah. mm. in respect of their own children mm. for eight seconds. And I said, I need someone to remind me about that every once in a while so that I can uh, stay in a, in a pure mindset. And I think this needs to happen top down from leadership through parents down to, the, to our students as well. Mm-hmm. Because, I, you know, in our, like, like Skidmore said, uh, was quoting John Acuff saying that, you know, the Christian F word is fine and we're not transparent right. in our churches. We don't say, we, here's the junk that's really going right. on. We, we say, of, I'm fine. Yeah. yeah. I, I would agree with Walter. The word is discipleship, and we, yeah. we have run away from that word, and yeah, we do absolutely. not disciple. Our, our shepherds don't disciple us. We don't disciple. Uh, we don't teach our. We baptize them, and that's it. See you. Good we luck. We cross our fingers and hope. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to what we qualify. We because discipleship is not how many gold medals you got at LTC or whether you made the speaking team or anything like that. Discipleship is not seen for years. But what we call discipleship traditionally is how many kids did you baptize? Mm. It's not discipleship. It's barely a start. Right. Mm. It's part of a journey. It's just something you do. And discipleship's messy. It's ugly. It is hard to quantify. But but our kids need to learn that. And our, and our parents and adults need to learn that. You know, we talk about sexual purity. We talk about pornography. But one of the things that I think is better at NCYM now for people like you and other people is there's a transparency in the guys who are older to say, no, we're, and we push back the thing, experts. That scares me because we're all still right. learning, trying to figure out how to do this. But one of the things that we do to set ourselves on an island is we do become you know, we're the guys who have it together and they hold people up. Well, you speak here and you speak there. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter in today's world because the kids we're trying to reach, 
they don't even know what Winterfest is. Mm -hmm. They they don't know what NCYM is. And all four of us, when we get together and we talk, if the students, like Robert's talking about, here's this one kid that came back after all these years trying to pull him out of a window. That's success. And Robert gets to speak all over the place. But that's what he talks about is the kid in the window. There's something powerful in that that keeps us grounded. That's right. That's right. Yeah. For for Robert, it's not being called an expert or sitting on the stage as a professor that that he talks about. It's the it's the stories like that. Yeah. So so what's another pitfall? What's another pitfall that 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 ministers listening to this podcast need to be prepared for as they move into the future? It's my sermon tonight. But one thing is envy. We need to get off the Facebook because we're like going. Well, Rubio got to do a digital side hug I, mm-hmm. I'm going to do the, the digital frontal hug I, you know we're going to do something <laughs> say, I, well, that would be awesome that would be PG-13 but I mean it's just well, kind of a I think we, we envy Robert took us to the PG-13 earlier <clears throat> sorry we, we, we envy other people's place in the body yeah. of, of Christ I mean that's a hard thing I really wish the Bible didn't have those summary passage that said the Lord added this number of people yeah. to the you know because yes. we we've grabbed onto that say well, God counted the numbers. We should count the numbers, and it's been the but he got David for counting. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But curiously, have y'all noticed that it's no longer? It used to be ten years ago. I felt like at this conference, the first question was how many people are in your group. Yeah. Teachers, yeah. I never really hear that anymore. I feel like I feel like we're we're, we're improving a little bit in that way. At the same time, I feel like we're comparing more, and yes. and and you know. Yeah, so I'm just using numbers as just one of those metrics a way to we compare. Use to right. compare. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, th- I think the pitfall that I notice, and and it starts in technology, is just distraction mm. uh, of what's the main thing. Uh, getting your kids to the feet of Jesus, uh, it, like it talks about in Mark. Uh, technology distracts us. Uh, sometimes even good stuff. You know, we worry so much about worship. You know, it's got to be so perfect, and it, we got to worry about what what type of worship we have, and, and all these. And when it gets right down to it, it's still that personal relationship with Jesus and. Remembering, keep the main thing the main thing instead of letting these other things. And that's what I think we may compare. Yeah. What's the latest thing you've done? Well, there's some bottom lines. Being there for the kid when they, their family goes through a divorce, being with them through those moments to say, Jesus is here. You know, he is crying with you mm. through this. And that's why, that's why I love Bonhoeffer's work mm-hmm. uh, so much lately, is saying, don't get distracted. Don't let the world, and there's tons of distractions. Uh, even inside church-created distractions, don't forget. Stay focused. Just stay there. I also think of pitfalls. Fear. Um, I, you know, I just as I look over a culture of twenty years ago versus now. I mean, just the fear mongering that is evident in our culture. And you just look back on this past year with events like Ferguson, Syrian refugee crisis, Second Amendment stuff. And I was asking any of my students, all my students, this at the end of the semester, how many of you been to church that have even brought up these topics? And none mm-hmm. of them are raising their hands. And we have a God that's big enough for us to engage in these topics. They are, I, I get they're controversial topics. There's no easy answers yeah. there. But if we can't try to put the gospel into some of these very difficult situations, what are we doing on a Sunday? Which brings up one of the challenges to backpack on that is, or piggyback, I could backpack, but that would be interesting. <laughs> um, we, we have a church, and, and again, the students see this. The adults in our churches are more fired up that 
the culture of America is changing, then people are going to hell. Mm-hmm. And our kids notice this. And our kids notice because they're going to school with individuals. I mean, you ask our seniors that just graduated from our youth group. They're not concerned about creation, evolution debate at all. The number one thing they'll bring up is, I have a friend who I think is gay. I don't know how to answer this one. And I'm like, all right, this is going to get dirty and messy. And they come from a lot of places. But we found this out, that if kids feel freedom to express and explore doubt, they do better. Yeah. We have a lot of churches, like Walter saying, that without a doubt, here's what we believe. And they're not preaching gospel. And they're not interpreting the Bible the way they should be. They are protecting America. And listen, I'm proud to be an American, but they're not protecting Jesus. They're protecting the culture America, yeah. that, that we have in the nationalism that we've turned our gospel into. If you travel anywhere abroad, Dudley does this. Like you go to Africa or anything like that. Are we really going to be arrogant enough to say that God's pleasure landed on America and that's it? What are we going to say about our African brothers? What are we going to say about Europe? Okay, well, sorry, you're the leftover. God left. Yeah, I mean, he, it doesn't even make sense to the, the gospel narrative at all. Yeah. Well, we've embraced it. If there's anyone in the audience who would like to ask a question, I, I would invite you to come to the microphone now. Thousands rushing to the. No, but we look at them fighting. We've grown a nice little outlet. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Head bowed. <laughs> Hundreds are coming. Um, I'm, I'm, we're, t- we're going to edit this out, so I'll, I'll uh, accept him. This part? No. <laughs> well, no, David. What just happened? <laughs> I'm going to set you up. Okay. I'm going to set you up for a question in just a moment. And there may be other pitfalls or challenges that, that you want to say. I would say at this point, if there's someone in the audience that would like to ask a question, I'd love to hear it. You got one? Yeah. Um, uh, first of all, tell us tell us your name. Tell you who you are, where you're um, from. Uh, Brian DeHerty, Greenwood Park, <laughs> Kentucky. Um, Brian, thank you. you. I love what you talked about, the, what, the changes you've seen in youth ministry. I'd love to know if this panel's happening at NCYM 2030. What are we going to be saying? Uh, what, what's our hope for what the future What's youth ministry going to look like in, in 25 years, 30 years? What are we, what are we hoping it looks like in, in yeah. our church? We that will not be in heaven. You're dead. Yeah. That's a great that question. That'll be dead. So what the question is, doing? what will youth ministry look like 20 or 30? What, what do we hope it looks like They'll in 20 or 30 years? They'll be dead. We'll be in Walkers. So that'll be good. No, I want to be dead in 30 years. Wow, that's wow. morbid too. That's wrong. Sorry. Silence. <laughs> we can arrange that. <laughs> I would hope the focus would still be the simplicity of the cross of Jesus and a gospel that is transformational. Now, um, that sounds very, very churchy, but if, if that's where we are, then we've done our job. The, the issues are going to change. Culture will be different, but if Jesus is still lifted up in, among students and they still can be a light in a dark world and live missional lives, then great. I think we're successful. I think uh, you guys may be the underground church in 25 or 30 years if it keeps going like it is. So you better. Why are you laughing be, be at that? Because I'm going to be. I'm going to be watching. He'll be gone. I'm going to be watching. Great lot of witnesses. Good job. But, but you know, living like like we heard, you know, living with the suffering and 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 living through that, you know, dealing with that as God's church would be a challenge for sure, but but an adventure as well. So. Um, yes, I'm, I'm excited about the next generation because God continues to use the younger generation to create revivals. 
and, and spiritual revivals across the country. So my guess is in 20 or 30 years, there's going to be another youth culture coming up who's had parents asking a lot of questions that the church has not allowed them to ask before. And we're going to be in a culture that is going to be hostile to Christianity. You know, it, I think we're seeing that already. But I think it's going to be a generation saying, that's okay, we can still change the world and still bring his kingdom uh, down here. And I hope you just keep seeing it. Every young generation believes they can change the world. Did you want to say yeah, something, Walter? I think it'll be less institutional focused. I think it's going to be more community focused. I think the church in 30 years, because of some of the things that I think I, I agree with Dudley on, um, it's going to push us into our communities, and that's going to be a great thing. Do you think we're going to have fewer paid yes. youth ministers? Yes, maybe. I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see if 30 years from my now, students here are like, wait, what? Is it uh, possible to have fewer paid youth ministers who are who are full time professional paid youth ministers in a congregation, but have better trained youth workers? Is is yes. it possible to do those both? Yeah. Every I, one of our universities is vocational. It, the big degree is do you have a vocational degree and I, I think speaking out of the forest we validated that as that is student ministry and a lot of us are doing some weird vocational things on right. the side to contextualize yeah. student ministry um, if I were to look forward in the future as well and we just got it this is this is the deal and it happens in all of our universities uh, we are less and less just one tribe of people we're training we all have students that are not just from our faith tradition and so with the coming world the way that it is and I'm telling you we're all part of committees and think tanks outside of CFC where these people are getting together and trying to figure out where can we find unity because yeah. the culture that is getting more post-Christian the Christians are going to have to get together and think how can these organizations impact and we don't have the only hold on the way to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and we got to humble ourselves a little bit and realize i got to partner with these other people because they have something I need to learn and we need to get together because there's nobody else to get together with. It's diminishing. Did, did we have another question from the audience? Yeah. Um, asking this as a student, what is uh, one skill or discipline that you wish you had installed in you when you first went into youth ministry or that you really wish you could plug into your students that are coming out of your universities? Thank you, Chase Whiting, uh, apprentice at Otter Creek Church of Christ in Nashville, Tennessee. Lipscomb University. That's awesome. Okay, this is a great question. I didn't, I didn't tell him to say that either, but what's one thing you wish you'd had? Maturity. <laughs> right as I came out of school, I could have just poured it inside me because yeah. uh, I, I wrote some letters I shouldn't have written to parents mm. down through the years that I wish I'd had a professor just yeah. slap me uh, in that. One of the things I do every once in a while, I don't know if you guys have this experience, but a student will send me a hot email that they're not pleased with the way I'm doing something. And so I will print it off and bring them in the office and say, I want you to read that. Read that as if you were me. And circle any word that hurts your feelings or you feel is inflammatory. And so they have this wonderful experience to read their own words with my ears. And do you go, have tears in your eyes when you ooh, do that? Ooh, oh, yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. But <laughs> good. bottom line is I tell them at the end, this is a maturity deal. You know, yeah. you shot this email off, I bet, just off the top of your head, right? Yep. And I said, that's a really bad idea. Mm -hmm. So they, we have had those conversations later after that's over to say, you do that to a bunch of elders, you'll, you're fired. Yeah. 
but I love you. And they, I hope they're going to love you as much as I do because I'm going to let it slide. And we're going to learn from this. But uh, maturity is the one thing I, I don't know if I can teach it, but I try. And, and what, what would you guys say to answer the question? We're, we're well, I would say at 4 o'clock we're doing a class on volunteers. And I wish mm -hmm. that in my early yeah. years that I'd have, it took me five years to figure out I was not Jesus Christ. I thought I was. Um, and then I thought I can still do this all by myself, kind of like David was mentioning. Uh, but I can tell you from being in it paid 25 years, that last 10 or 15 years when I got it about you can't do this alone. Involving others. And I started watching other, And if it doesn't have, I tell my students, if it doesn't have to be about you, you'll get a lot done because you empower other people to do ministry. That's and great. they're probably better at relationships than some of us are. And then you just sit back and watch mm -hmm. God do his thing through his people, through discipleship, if you will. And I, if I'd have had that in the 70s, the world would probably be different for you guys. <laughs> I wish I would have embraced, uh, kind of sit in my pain a little bit longer. Uh, there's times where I would get hit and it's a maturity deal. And instead of going to someone saying, okay, what did I do to create this? Or tell me about myself. I would go find somebody who agreed with me. And I wouldn't rest in my own failure and learn from it. And I didn't learn that till really 10 years into ministry. And I even went to, you know, I went to a, a friend of mine, his kid was in our youth group. He was a counselor. I'm like, dude, I'm about to adopt some kids. I think I'm screwed up somewhere. Can, can you visit with me? And I opened myself up and it was the most nerve wracking deal because I was David. And I wish I would have learned that. Be David. Yeah, in my own mind. Yeah. Nobody cared. Yeah. But in my mind, I, I wish I would have done that earlier to figure out, okay, there's a place in your heart that's a chink in your armor mm -hmm. that is causing you to repeat failure after failure in this one area. And I was too cowardly to discover that till I was in my late 20s. And I think the Lord that I have a wife that I do to go, you're jacked up right here. You need to go visit with someone. And it really saved the longevity of ministry. And, um, I, you know, just opening yourself up. And it was a maturity deal. I didn't want people yeah. to know I went perfect. Uh, for me, it, I got really lucky. About two years into my ministry, I was at a conference where Jim Burns was, and he was teaching about how to maintain a Sabbath in your ministry. And I had not done Sabbath my first two years of ministry. And I had all sorts of different types of stress um, symptoms that I was having to deal with from cricks in my neck that wouldn't let me turn my head to cold sores and things like that, night sweats, and, and getting back into a rhythm where I would let the Lord speak back into me um, through recreation, through study, through just not working um, was, was one of the things I attribute longevity and ministry to. My insecurity early on, and again, it speaks to maturity, kept me from seeing parents as partners and allies. Yeah. Yes. I was afraid of them. I didn't, I didn't want them to judge me. I thought I knew their kids better than they did, and I was an idiot. Well, and sadly, uh, the, the youth ministry literature reinforced yeah. that with the comics and, and the but articles that you'd find. I remember going to youth conventions here and to make yeah. fun of parents from the stage yeah. And, yeah. and just thinking, wait, I'm... I'm so, yeah, I wish I'd known then. And then we all became parents. That's right. <laughs> exactly. I remember the day I thought, wait, we I'm, know not nothing. Sure. I'm not sure I would be welcome in my own youth ministry. You know, what am I doing wrong? Oh, man. Well, but listen, we're, we're about to, to do, commence the hugging uh, because, because our podcast, we're out of time. But as listeners to the podcast know, 
that I always ask a question from Morris Gregoire, uh, who, who has written a book called Asking Can Be Fun. So slight uh, comedic change of pace, potentially, hopefully. Uh, I have this question from Morris Gregoire, who asks, When have you made this country look bad while traveling abroad? Anybody? I really want something saucy. Well, we did 35 countries last summer, this past summer, and, and one of them was uh, Belarus. And uh, we did not know it, uh, and they sold us a ticket. We were in Lithuania or somewhere, and we were just working our way down to Czech Republic. There's a girl there we've been studying the Bible with for five years, and we go see her every year in, in Prague. And so we were working our way down that way, and we thought, oh, look, there's Belarus. We'll just go there and walked up to the counter, got a ticket, and, um, and we land in Belarus, and we get out, and... Uh, I thought it was an EU country, and all of a sudden they're saying, where's your passport? Where's your... And I said, why do we need our passport? You're in Belarus. And it ends up Belarus is still part of the Russian-Soviet <laughs> Union thing or whatever. Uh-oh. And so they literally brought a lady came with a guy with a gun, with a rifle, and they escorted us into a room, and we stayed in there for three hours, and then they came out and said, well, first of all, the guy, he, he, he jumped on me, and he said, I know why you're here. <laughs> and, and I was like, we, we came to see Meeks. The, we're, we're sightseeing. We're, we're doing all the countries in the world, and this is one of them. And, no, that's not why you're here. And, and, and I said, well, why are we here? And he said, you came for the hockey game. And it was the Hockey Federation playoffs or something like that. And I said, okay, we'll, we will. Or what, I mean, you know, no, you will go lock up. And they locked us up. And uh, They locked you up? Yeah. And so three for hours. You went to Belarusian prison? We, we, no, no, no. It's in the airport. Oh, okay. In, in I wanted you so bad yeah. to end up in the no. No, 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 no. So we uh, we come out and and they say uh, caged beat. Yeah, come with us, and they put us on an airplane and we go to Prague, and we actually we, we went for free. They deported us to Prague. They kicked you out of Belarus. And we didn't have to pay to get to Prague. So it was it really was ended up great. Win-win. Sorry, yeah. sorry, USA. So there the, the Chanseys win, Belarus wins, Prague gets the Chanseys, and, and it, it paid off here at the podcast. Well, we didn't get Good to work. see HE or Hockey Stick. Thank you, Morris. Greg Wire. <laughs> <laughs> that was a worse joke. That was, that was rough. Hey, listen, we got four quote-unquote experts at youth ministry that are still trying to figure out how to do this. Thank you for sharing all this with us today. Uh, in the audience, you may clap if you want, and you also may hug one another. Give some hugs. Let's hug each other. Thank you for being a part of the Digital Side Hug Live. Oh, this was so fun. Seriously. Uh, this, this, my life, Time for the Digital Frontal Hug. My, my, my life is different because of, of the men on, on this stage. Uh, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Digital Side Hug. Thank <laughs> you.